Principal Matters Podcast, episode 234. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're going to talk about connecting people in need with people who care with my special guest, T.J. Warren. T.J. Warren is the Director of Programs for Stand in the Gap Ministries in Tulsa, Oklahoma, an organization committed to impacting the lives of orphans, widows, and prisoners in partnership with generous donations from individuals, churches, businesses, as well as various foundations. He's specifically involved in assisting youth from difficult backgrounds with those who have aged out foster care, among all the many other things that he manages. And he's also a dear friend. TJ and I have known each other for several years, and I'm just so excited, TJ, to introduce you to the Principal Matters community. And I always ask my guests to fill in the gap on the intro and tell listeners something they may be surprised to know about you. Man, surprise. Well, Will, thanks for having me. Um, I'm thankful for you. Like you said, we've known each other for a long time and uh, we're good pals and love each other a lot um, because you've ministered to me a lot in my life uh, in that short period of time. Um, but yes, so a little bit about me. I grew up in Hutchinson, Kansas, um, which most people don't know where that is. But if you know where Wichita is, it's northwest of Wichita, about 50 miles. Um, so geography lesson for the day. Um, I grew up there. I went to college at John Brown University in Arkansas <clears throat> and got my theology and music degree there. That was very uh, formative years for me um, as really informed what I do now. I spent a lot of time uh, during college and on my summer breaks working for Boys and Girls Club. And that um, was kind of the start of something that I didn't know was starting. And that was just an interest in young, young people um, and caring for young people and, and finding ways to connect and really sharpening my skills of connecting with young people in that time. And I did, ha- did not have any idea that's what was happening. But long story short, um, went to John Brown, graduated. Um, I worked full-time vocationally in the church for about probably a total of six years. At about four years into that, well, yeah, four years into that, I met Anna, my wife, and we got married and uh, got married in Kansas and then moved straight back down to Tulsa. Right after I made her move back to, from Tulsa to Wichita, we moved right back. Um, And so I've been here in town and worked, you know, at our home church um, for about two full years and then moved into Stand in the Gap and I've been there ever since. So I've been here for a little over five years now and it has definitely been a revelatory job for me. And so, yeah, something that people would be surprised. I was born upside down. So they had to cut me out and my mom called me her upside down baby, which makes a lot of sense. That explains so much, T.J. Warren. Now that I know that, I will. Next time I see your mom, I'm going to say, "Now I understand a little bit more about the peculiarity of my good friend T.J. Warren." And you're also a new dad, so yeah, you got to tell us about that beautiful baby. He's great. Uh, her name's Irene. She's a little over nine months, and she's almost walking. Um, she's just barely not walking at this point, but she's man, it's great. It's um, talking about flipping your world up, being upside down. So um, going along with that theme, yeah, baby will do that. 
Well, congratulations, TJ Warren and Principal Matters listeners. One of the reasons that I wanted the privilege for you to meet TJ is because I've known him personally for several years. Um, TJ and I are also both musicians. That's something else surprising about TJ is that he is an, an amazing vocalist, guitar player, piano player and uh and and so i've had the privilege of doing music with tj and so i've known you at, at a personal level tj but i've also admired the work that you do professionally if that's what you would call ministry because i know that the the area that you work in reminds me so much of what i see educators doing counselors teachers principals superintendents engaging with the youth of our communities in ways that enriches their lives and helps them to reach that next step. And so as I've watched you for now for four years with Stand in the Gap Ministries in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I've seen the success stories. I've met some of the young people with whom you've worked, and my heart has just been so warmed by seeing the active role that you guys are playing within our communities. And so I just wanted to have a conversation with you, TJ, as someone who works in a ministry that's specifically engaging kids who have great needs. And I wanted to begin with this question. What are some important ideas that we as educators should keep in mind when working with youth from traumatic backgrounds, especially those who are missing some essential resources like kids who come from stable homes or who have a mom and dad to rely on? Because you work with a lot of kids with no parents or, or kids who are orphaned. So talk about that for just a little bit. What are some important ideas for educators to keep in mind with working with kids at risk? Yeah, I think the thing that comes to mind is, is one of the biggest points in our training for our mentors. When we're bringing in mentors, we train them to be on teams of mentors for our young people. We don't do one-on-one because most of our young people were hurt by one person where nobody else was. So we do teams for various number of reasons. The, one of the biggest things that we train them on is how to identify trauma behavior. If we can identify that a behavior that's happening between me as a, as a teacher and a student in my classroom, if we can identify that behavior as out of norm, we can generally say, oh, it's, this is probably coming from somewhere. So at Standing in the Gap, we always say there's something behind, there's always something behind the behavior is what we always say. And so one of the best things I think uh, as a teacher, as a, as a parent, as a mentor, when you're interacting with young adults from hard places is you have to start developing the tools and the wherewithal and the insight to know what's trauma behavior and what's not. And so one of the best ways to identify trauma behavior is if it is outside of cultural norms in a very obvious way, that should be our first red flag in our minds that 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 behavior is coming from trauma. And if that's the case, then we cannot have a punitive response to that behavior. We have to have a restorative response if we're going to keep, um, if we're going to create what's called a, a safe environment, an environment of felt safety, so that we can have a, a connection with this young person and resolve any issue that we have presented before us. And so identifying trauma behavior is huge for our mentors. And we have uh, lots of skills and practical tools that we teach our mentors to help them understand trauma behavior. And one of the biggest, one of the first places to start is just knowing your students, knowing where they come from, right? So if, uh, as an example, if I walk into your classroom as a, as a 13 year old and um, I have a pretty stable home, uh, 
mom and dad are present at all the PTO meetings and the parent teacher conferences and all that kind of stuff. And I start saying something that's mean and outlandish um, versus if Isaiah, who was homeless in Detroit, who was trafficked from Detroit, um, his mom shoved a gun in his face because he was hanging out with people he didn't like or she didn't like, trafficked down to Oklahoma City in the drug trade as a 17-year-old. He has cerebral palsy and scoliosis, didn't know what he was getting himself into. They put him on a Greyhound bus because they, they realized that he wasn't 18 once they once he told him that when he was down there and he just ends up in Oklahoma city and then ends up in Tulsa. So long story short, he gets a life launch team and we've had a great story with him. But if Isaiah walks into your room and, and says something, you might have a, a, a little bit better idea that he might be under a little bit of different pressure than, than I would be. Mm, that that's a great example. And so, and TJ, I know you could unpack with lots of examples of things that you could recognize in kids, but I think that lesson is so important. And, and I know a lot of educators are beginning to embrace and teach awareness of trauma so that they understand the backgrounds of students so, so that they don't escalate a situation for a student that where they may already feel fear or, or anger in, in those kinds of situations. What are some other trigger things that you've seen that would be helpful for educators to think about when they're dealing with youth to, to try to manage those situations when they become aware of them? Yeah, don't get in power struggles. You know, most of the young adults that have that have gone through trauma, maybe in the home through parents or or other caregivers, um, they've lived in a paradigm of power, right? And so, young people will not respond to that paradigm. So, we realized this early on in Stand in the Gap, and and had to ask ourselves, well, why why are we not being as successful as we want to be? So we had to step back and start asking not just practical, you know, how to, how to mentor, how to walk alongside a young adult questions that are important. We had to start asking philosophical questions and cultural questions. We started uncovering over time some cultural presuppositions that really made it almost, it was very antithetical to safe connections between adults and young people. One of those things is, that comes to mind. So identifying trauma behavior, great skill working on that. The next thing I would say that's been helpful, informative, that's actually in our training as well and in our program is this idea of in our society, respect is earned. So we started thinking about this. Well, that's interesting. If respect is earned, then that means whoever hasn't earned enough respect is in a weaker position. Whoever is owed respect is in a position of power and authority. Unfortunately, in our English language, we have one word that generally means two different things. So we use the word respect and adults use it as authority. So respect me as your authority. Mm -hmm. Young adults will use it as respect, as dignity, human value and dignity. And so if we, we're, we're not communicating correctly. And so a lot of the times what we've seen in Stand in the Gap, here's an extreme story that we would see uh, in Kasdan's case, his mom used to hit him and scream at him while she was hitting him. I will make you respect me, right? So that's a microcosm of this cultural presupposition that if adults don't get the respect that they think that they're owed, if you don't respect me as your authority, I will not respect you as a human being. So let's go to a more pedestrian view of that story. You've got a a 14-year-old boy who lives uh, in a million-dollar home. His dad uh, is a, or mom is a very 
a successful business person. Uh, 14-year-old loves chess. Dad loves football. They don't really connect very well on things. So dad's away at business for weeks at a time, doesn't really call the house to check in on his son, you know, kind of neglects his son a little bit. Dad comes home from a long business vacation. He's tired. He walks up the stairs. It's, it's 8.45 at night, walks into the 14-year-old's room. And the first thing he says is, why is your room a mess? Well, 14-year-old boy then proceeds to yell and cuss and scream and throw a fit. And then dad, because he's being disrespected as his authority, grounds the 14-year-old and says, you can't go out with your friends uh, this week, right? That is the same story in a different paradigm, right? Mm -hmm. And this is the presupposition that we uncovered that we said, oh, no, we at Stand in the Gap, especially in our Life Launch program, we, we feel like we are in an epidemic of young people, that young people feel devalued because we've bought into this cultural presupposition that respect is earned. So if we go back to our theology that we've had to stand in the gap, we believe that respect is not earned at stand in the gap. We believe that it's, it's creationally demanded. So respect, how we use that word in our society is wrapped up in your dignity as a human being. So if a six-year-old and a 60-year-old walk in the room together for the first time, the 60-year-old does not get more respect than the six-year-old. But our culture teaches the opposite. So that places that six-year-old at a high relational disadvantage. And so what we see is this that's transactional relationship. And we want to have a relational connection rather than a transactional connection. So if my connecting with the six-year-old is helping them earn my respect, I'm not really connecting them for this connecting with them for the sake of who that person is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sake of getting a transaction that makes me feel good. So that's a long way around um, not being able, not going into a relationship with young people as if they owe you something that your culture has told you that you deserve, which is actually just a lie. It's not true. We kind of live in the, this matrix type reality um, that young people owe us something. And until we get that from them, they need to obey us and listen to us enough until they get that. I love I love how you unpack that, TJ, and it re- actually reminds me of a conversation I was just having with my own kids last night. My son Jack is a high school freshman, and my daughter Katie is a high school senior, and we were just talking about their different the, the different experiences that they've had with different teachers, and you know some they they love more than others. And we were talking about um, the influence that a teacher's behavior will have on the attitude of, of an entire class. And so I was just telling them that, you know, when I was in the classroom for 11 years, one of my practices was to begin every, every class with the same conversation, which was welcoming students and then telling them after the bell rang and we were getting started, I'm glad you're here. And usually inevitably, actually, it would usually take about a week, maybe two weeks and event. And finally, and these were, I taught secondary. So teenagers aren't going to be quick to ask, this kind of question, but after they were comfortable about two weeks into class, somebody would raise their hand and they would say, Mr. Parker, why do you say every day you're glad we're here? And that always, and I was, you know, I knew that question was going to come and I would always say to them, well, because I am glad you're here. You know, we have compulsory ed law that requires you to attend school, but the fact that you actually chose to step into this room really shows that you have the power to either attend or not attend my class. You don't have to come to this class, but you chose to step in this class. And so I consider it um, an honor that you, that you did. And, I, and so I'm looking forward to teaching you. Mm-hmm. And I remember several years ago, 
Um, actually, it was at it was during a, a church service. I was on a Sunday morning. Uh, there was greeting time happening between the songs and, and the sermon, and and a young man walked up to me that I didn't recognize at first until he introduced himself to me as a former student. And I did the teacher thing where you pretend like you you remember every kid. And he said to me, you probably don't remember this, Mr. Parker, but every morning you would start off by saying, I'm glad that you're here. And one morning I came into your classroom after I had been out the entire night before um, my mom and dad fought all the time and I just left the house and um, I had slept outside someplace. I come into school wearing the same thing that I had the day before and I was sitting in, and you were my first class of the day and I walked in tired and angry and the last thing I wanted to do is to be at school and you said I'm glad you're here Mm. and you had no idea how much I needed to hear that and and so TJ I just think it's so important for educators to remember that the power that we have for those of us that work in schools or those of us that work with students like you do who are outside of school but you're supporting them in school the power that we have in our relationships with them when we recognize the dignity that each of them have as well. Yeah, it just makes me think of, of the power of repetitive routines, um, of saying the same thing over and over again. If you look at the, the, the science behind that, it causes a biological response because they know they're gonna hear that every time. There's a biological response that causes calming and relaxation. Um, and so that's just a little thing, but you can use repetitive routines in any way to help mold um, and care for young people. That's great. I love it. Well, it, it also reminds me of some research that Dr. Barb Sorrells, who is just such a great resource for children and trauma, and another Tulsa, Oklahoma person that's been a guest on my show a couple of years ago. And in Dr. Sorrells' research, and I've sat in trainings that she's done for our organization here in Oklahoma, she talks about the, the power of repetitive and consistently uh, the, the power of repetitive behavior. And um, she even tells the story of a 14-year-old foster child that she had taken home. She's had several foster children in her home who she recognized after he had finally begun to trust their care and began to relax in their home environment, wanted to play peekaboo with her. And she was really surprised that a behavior that normally a, a preschool child would would display was being displayed by a 14 year old. But in the years since then, she's met several kids of that age in other foster families where the same thing has happened. And what she was explaining to me in that was that, well, there are, there are repetitive behaviors that children experience in stable environments that provide them a lot of consistency and nurture and brain development. And for kids in trauma, a lot of times they missed that completely. They never had those moments. So when they finally find a place of rest and safety, they may actually begin to display some of those childlike behaviors that they didn't get to display because of the trauma they were in when they were younger. And so principal managers, listeners, I know you're listening to this with the, with the context of working with kids from all grades. I, I know some of my listeners work with little ones and some of you work with older students, but in all of those contexts, kids benefit from those consistent expectations in a safe environment. And, and TJ, I know you've seen that in your work. It's really paramount. I mean, because what we're doing, to use a uh, maybe a strange term to, to some of us, but we're re-liturgizing people. We're reteaching them how to feel safe, especially our young adults from hard places, because as mentors, as caregivers, as teachers, really 
it's not a demand that we have, it's a privilege that we have. And if we have the right skills, we can reduce dramatically the tendencies of hypervigilance in our, our young adults. You know, that young man that you talked about coming into your classroom, he's on nine out of 10 in a stress level. And you have probably had no idea, but inside of his mind, he's hypervigilant, he's stressed out. And there's no way biologically, unless you would have, if, if you would not have said that phrase, he would not have learned anything in that class because his biological mechanisms are focused on survival and not focused on gathering material and information and categorizing and learning it. And so those repetitive routines are, especially our young adults from hard places, maybe it's you stand at the door and you shake the hand of that young adult, or you do a high five routine, or you have a phrase. What that's gonna do over time it's not only going to reduce hypervigilance in the moment, <clears throat> but the more you do it, what's amazing that we see with our young adults in mentorship is they'll start reorienting around that practice before they even get to you. So this causes a reduction in hypervigilance when they're not even close to you. So uh, if it's Sunday evening and they're looking forward to, to Mr. Parker's class on Monday, they're thinking about making sure I get that handshake right. And they're already orienting around that safe classroom, even if their home in the moment is unsafe. It's mm. spectacular. Those are great applications. Now, now, TJ, let me, let me transition because one of the things that you have helped me understand in my work as an educator is the perspective of the young person who is actually getting ready to age out of foster care. And in the years that I've been in uh, working in high schools, I've recognized when I've had occasionally had students in, in my care who are aging out, but you work with those students consistently. And, and so I just wanted to go there for a few minutes because I think it's important for educators to think about the perspective of that child, because I don't think sometimes we realize how helpless and and what lack of resources exist for a young person who's turning 18 years old. Yeah. and has always been or has recently been in foster care. So talk about that dynamic and what it would be good for educators to keep in mind when you encounter a young person in that condition. Yeah. So I'll give you just a, just a example or a story. If we can all think about what's our safe place, right? For me, it's, it's going home. It's cooking with Irie while Anna does some work. And then we sit down and we have dinner together. That's my place. I love it. It makes me feel safe. <clears throat> I feel confident and comfortable. I feel happy. Um, for a lot of our young adults from hard places, school is that place for them. So imagine if you're thinking about your safe place, you know, um, if someone came up to you and said, hey, in six months, you're no longer going to be able to come here anymore. If someone came up to me and said, you're no longer going to be able to cook with your daughter, sit down with your wife and daughter and have dinner and watch her throw food all over her face um, and laugh at the new crazy things that she does, it would, uh, it would disable me. Um, I, I really wouldn't be able to comprehend it. So this is what's happening for our foster young adults, right? And so I think it's really important as educators to be able to identify those young adults as they get closer and to expect a little bit of unraveling to happen. Mm -hmm. A little bit of homework not getting turned in, not showing up to classes, um, maybe kind of having some backpedaling moments because the fear and anxiety of that is really keeping them from focusing on that specific moment. So just having some grace and patience with those young adults and um, 
and realizing, oh my goodness, they're not going to be able to come back when they need me to talk to you, need to talk to me anymore. So having that understanding is really important with those young adults. And then being able to, to be connected to organizations like ours so that you can refer that 18 year old six months before they age out. Um, that is one of our most powerful partnerships that we partner with alternative schools like Phoenix Rising and North Tulsa, uh, private schools in Oklahoma City like Crystal Ray. We will partner with those schools and find some a teacher or a counselor who uh, wants to send us referrals for those young adults, and we'll qualify them before they um, graduate. The idea is we want to be able to carry on that primary care, so to speak, that a school or a transitional home has poured into this young person out into the community. And we do that by getting a team of mentors around that young person before they leave that place of safety so that we can cultivate a different place of safety out in the community. That is our goal because I hear so many teachers like our, our friends and partners at Phoenix Rising who pour their lives out for these young adults and then they go back into uh, their neighborhoods and their homes that are unsafe and they don't make it. And so Stand in the Gap is, is helping those young adults make it by getting them safe, unpaid adults in their life. So many young adults from hard places or what we would call a modern day orphan don't have safe unpaid people. And that's what we're mm -hmm. trying to do. Well, and I have an announcement for, for principals and I'm not going to say something that you don't already know, but I'm just going to say this for, for emphasis, but I have an announcement to make that the success of a student doesn't happen when they walk across that stage and receive a diploma. If, I mean, that's ultimately the goal of every K-12 educator is to see that kid be successful. But that success happens if they're surrounded by the right resources and supports that will help them transition from that into what's next. And TJ, that's why your work to me um, has been so inspiring is because you guys are so committed to helping identify kids before they're out of school yeah. and then also assisting and helping them and providing them with additional support when they finish for that next thing, whether that's work or whether that's trade school or whether that's college, whatever that, that looks like. And so I know that that's an important wraparound service um, that you guys provide. Yeah. We, we solely focus on that relational connection and we, we pour all of our resources into those individual teams to make that relational connection with that young adult. And then our other partnerships that we have, um, like workforce, for example, they'll come in and they'll pay for our young adults to get their driver's license, which is a huge obstacle for so many of our young adults. Cause if you don't have a mom and dad, who's got, who's got 200 bucks or 98 bucks to get their driver's license. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, so we definitely have other partners that we can, um, connect our young adults with for sure. Well, let's wrap up this conversation, TJ, with some suggestions, because I know that there are listeners of this podcast who are in Oklahoma and they can connect directly with Stand of the Gap, but there's also listeners from across the U.S. and some even outside the U.S. Mm -hmm. who may be working with students in, in, in those same populations. But if, if I'm that educator and I'm looking for an organization like yours to try to connect my kids in need with another organization that could provide that community support, what are some things I should keep in mind um, if I'm in the Oklahoma area, how can I connect with you? And if I'm not, what are some things I should keep in mind when I'm trying to connect my students with help? In Oklahoma, we operate Life Launch currently just in Oklahoma. We are working diligently to, to fix that and be regionally and maybe even national 
uh, nationwide uh, someday. But in Oklahoma, what you can do is you can travel to our website and you can find the program manager in Tulsa and Oklahoma City and you can connect with them through their email and phone number. Um, we would love to connect with you and talk about what it would look like um, to maybe receive referrals from you. Another big heart that we have at Stand in the Gap is not just to train our mentors, but to train other partners. So our, our training is proprietary. You know, we've, what we've done is we've tried to take um, a philosophical and theological perspective and partner that with current trauma-informed research and relationally-based research. And so we've packaged all of that together in our current life launch mentor training. And if you would like access to that and you are in Oklahoma, you can just get online and get it. If, if you're outside of Oklahoma, you can get online and you can, and you can access that. But I would actually love to talk to you if you are a school administrator, a teacher, a counselor, whatever you, whoever you are doing, whatever it is that you're doing uh, to care for our young adults in our state. Um, please reach out to me. My uh, contact info is on uh, the website there. Uh, it's tj at sitgm.org, standinthegapministries.org. But yes, like I said, we could either partner with you in state and be a referral partner and connect your young adults with our trained and uh, mentors that we oversee. We have a comprehensive um, team care process every month that we go through for all of our active teams. So we don't just match you and say, hey, we'll see you in 12 months. We have a in-depth care uh, system uh, for our active mentor teams. And so you know that your young adult that you're referring to us is going to, all their mentors are going to be background checked nationwide. They're going to be going through a pretty rigorous referral process as well. And if you're out of state, would love to talk to you because we are looking to develop our life launch training in such a way to where it may not just be geared toward mentoring, but we want to get it in the hands of facilitators and teachers and church workers and whoever nonprofit workers so that they can start utilizing this kind of philosophical approach that we utilize. And so please contact me. I would love to, I'll probably talk too much about how excited I am about what I do. So would love to hear from anybody. So, Well, TJ Warren, thank you for the work that you're doing for the youth of our communities. I know that Stand in the Gap has helped hundreds of young people. Principal Matters listeners, let me just encourage you as you're continuing the hard work that you're doing, even during this COVID time, that as you keep your eyes open for those kids in need, there are organizations within your community that can provide additional support and wraparound for the work that you're doing. But TJ, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you that you are connecting people in need with people who care. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Will. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out all my posts at williamdparker.com.